0: Welcome to Shine KC. I'm your host, Tina Johnson. Published author, small business entrepreneur, and domestic violence survivor. Have you ever played the game or did an icebreaker? What is one thing people don't know about you? One day, I was taking the American flag down from my boutique, and someone stopped and asked if I took my flag down every night. I said, yes, I don't have a light shining on it. It's a flag rule. I obey the flag rules and always have. It's second nature to me. They smiled and drove off. What is one thing people don't know about you? I always win, but I'm gonna give you my answer. I was a young Marine. I'm not kidding. Yes, I was a young Marine. At the time, I had three brothers and a grandfather who wanted all of us to have a sense of a military upbringing, and it worked. My brothers and I have a very positive and appreciative love of our country and are proud to be from a strong military background. My maternal grandfather was a Marine. My dad was a Marine. My older brother and my uncle served our country as Marines as well. I'm sure I have cousins and so on that I don't even know that that were Marines or in some sort of military branch and I just appreciate you guys so much. The United States Marines are a family that fights together, finding individual purpose in a collective cause, the protection of our nation and the advancement of its ideals. Do Marines go to war? The Marine Corps plays a major role as the first force on the ground in most conflicts. Today, Marines are stationed around the world at all times, ready to deploy quickly whenever and wherever needed. The adjective for militant is fighting for a positive cause. I stand against domestic violence. Of course, Fighting for the freedom of our country is an honor to my family members. The term militant has a primary meaning of being a soldier performing military service. But it acquired a secondary meaning of service performing or laboring. Being a Christian soldier within the church. Is an honor. I love the church my family and I attend. It's made up of God fearing Jesus lovers, not a bunch of perfect people. Praise the Lord for that. I have a few points to make in today's podcast, but so much I couldn't fit into a 20 minute episode that I'll revisit spiritual abuse and the church subject again and again and again. I had over 20 pages of information that I wanted to try to get in, but there is no way to get that all in. What militant doesn't say is forcing obedience and worrying about defending God and his reputation. A church I attended years ago takes responsibility for families and their reputation calls all sin a reflection on the church, which the church, when I say the church, I'm referring to the people of the church, not the building, and I'm definitely not referring to God. They call all sin a reflection on the church, but uses Jesus' name. In my own experience, I believe the church is not just failing to sufficiently address domestic violence, it's both enabling it and concealing it. How did the church treat me as a woman in a male-dominated situation? The church invoked fear to elevate its own power, I believe, and I'll explain that later. The loyalty to man superseded the loyalty to God, depending on who the perpetrator was. My family was shunned as if we were the plague. Still today, there are people who are on that holier than thou bus. I'm sure listening to this podcast, wondering if I might say something truthful but might hurt their reputation or the reputation of the church. Abusive leadership cultures lead to many wounded by the church. Or many feeling empowered because their sin is smaller and less public than yours. I'll never forget when someone asked me as a young Christian, like I just asked Christ into my life in my early 20s. Aren't you worried that because you failed and had a child? Hold on, let me back up again. Aren't you worried because you failed? I should just stop there. (laughs) And had a child out of wedlock, that your daughter is destined for failure because of your example. My daughter was three at the time, but they just asked because they cared, or because they grew up in a Christian home and would never have had sex before they were married. It's crazy how proud Christians can be of their humility and share your faults before you were even a Christian. They're very aware of their humility. Instead of being transparent about their own life, they hide it and only look like a hypocrite to themselves. There's a need for transparency. People who share their story are not gossips or slanderers. I never mention names. It's my story it's my truth we need to listen to people the church believes one has to dominate wife submits instead of a partnership this mindset causes an already narcissistic in my case man to justify control over a female this happened to me twice in 25 years you're gonna love this other women's husbands tried to silence me or remind me very firmly what they thought submission to my then abuser meant and I should remain silent submission never means abuse If you are being abused in any way, shape, or form, God does not call you to submit to that person. Get out of there. Submission in marriage means accountability and respect for your partner, which should be mutual. It's not a slave or a woman's call to lose her voice. The fundamental scale on which the Christian marriage is built is love. And love is anything but the desire to control. Submission to God's authority brings freedom. It sets order and direction. You know, after my late husband died, the church didn't know what to do with me. There was not a real place for a young widow at the time. I had children, so I wasn't in the singles group, but no husband, so I wasn't in the married group either. If I spoke to a man, I was to be confronted or talked to about how not appropriate it was, how I dressed. Oh, my heavens. I wrote about this in my book, Goodbye to Shame. I wore Levi's and a sweater and I was confronted as inappropriate because they thought the church was my head now because I had no husband and they were in leadership. That brings me to several thoughts, about a million, but I'm going to narrow it down to just a few. I guess I want to raise the question. Are women in the church baiting somebody or are we just simply smiling at someone with no motive? Are women responsible for men's actions? By the way, I just looked really cute but anyone who knows me knows that. A little side note for any confronters out there, no one changes because of the power of shame. The God of the Bible is a safe and loving God that doesn't tolerate toxicity, warning signs, and interrogated. People are finally sharing their stories. What was hidden is being revealed. Luke 12, two and three. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. What does it mean to hold biblical people accountable? Too many women in the church have found themselves on the wrong side of the imbalance of power but one day justice will run like a river. There's a need for transparency. People who share their story are not gossips or slanderers. Listen to people. Again, I never mention names. It's my story. I believe sexual abuse and domestic violence cases are hidden within the church and are a product of an institutional cover-up. I've heard for years these matters should be handled by the church. Any abuse should be reported to the police, but oftentimes not. They try to handle in a reconciliation format instead of a violent crime. It's a failure of the church. Handling abuse cases should be turned over to authorities, but first we have to call domestic violence of all forms a crime, illegal, and abuse. I wanted to share a few stories. I could talk for days about the spiritual abuse I endured with my late husband and the church we were in. But today, I'm going to share something from Christianity Today published an article May 22nd of this year. And then I'll post the article in its entirety on my Facebook page. But first, I'm going to share a few of the victims' stories. Krista Brown. A longtime advocate who experienced sexual abuse by her pastor at 16 said her countless encounters with Baptist leaders who shunned and disbelieved her left a legacy of hate and communicated you are a creature void of any value. You don't matter. As a result, she said instead of her faith providing solace. Her faith has become neurologically networked with a nightmare she refers to as soul murder. Another victim, Debbie Vasquez, was repeatedly sexually assaulted by a Southern Baptist Convention pastor starting at age of 14. When one assault led to her pregnancy, she was forced to apologize in front of the church, but forbidden to mention the Father. The pastor went on to serve at another Southern Baptist church. And when Vasquez reached out to the executive committee, her entries were ignored for years until a Houston Chronicle investigation only three years ago this woman is in her mid 60s today. Survivors of church abuse want to see churches care for survivors, employ best practice for prevention and response, hold abusers accountable, and prevent them from abusing again. There are men and women who have suffered abuse in our churches suffered further trauma by churches and leaders when they disclosed abuse and want to see the SBC or Southern Baptist Convention seriously address the problem within the denomination surrounding abuse. I want to read to you what one of the Southern Baptist Convention attorneys was quoted as saying Again, this is in the article. You can read it in its entirety. The whole thing should be seen for what it is. It's a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism. It is not the gospel. It is not even part of the gospel. It is a misdirected play. They have gone to the SBC looking for sexual abuse. And, of course, they found it. Their outcries have certainly caused an availability cascade, but they are not to blame. This is the devil being temporarily successful. According to an unnamed executive committee staff member, in nearly every instance in the past when victims have come to those in power about the SBC, they have been shunned, shamed and vilified at the executive committee, we have inherited a culture of rejecting those who question power and who accuse leaders. Key Southern Baptist leaders didn't just disbelieve and insult survivors, though. In some cases, they aligned themselves with convicted or confessed perpetrators and helped them personally. When leaders in the church fail and cause wounds, they're responsible to repent and make the issue right just like any other Christian person. When going through counseling with my late husband, my abuser, I was told by one of the leaders in the church, if I divorced my husband, I would look old and wrinkle faster. They went on to say, and I quote, do you See women who have been divorced who just look terrible? My own beauty was used against me as a ploy to stay with my abuser because of what it might make the church look like. No good Christian man in his right mind would ever love me. I was damaged goods and could never be used of God. That was also a quote. From the same leader. While my spirit was wounded, I believed the lie. I was done. God could not use me. My story would no longer be credible. Here I am, so upset. I was a teenage unwed mother. I was a young widow who went through this abusive situation I was divorced so when I finally gained enough courage and strength to confront this church leader he stated he said that to me just to get my attention get my attention for what purpose so I wouldn't think about divorce or what (laughs) I never understood that So let's chat about the lies. I would become ugly. No man could ever love me. I was damaged. And God couldn't use me. Let me introduce myself. I am a drop-dead gorgeous woman in my 50s now with very little wrinkles. I have a good Christian man, not in his right mind, but out of his mind crazy wild about me. And if you're under the sound of my voice, well, I guess the church leaders' prophecies were off a little. Bye-bye for now.